Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Sheena, we know that Reveal is all about opinions versus reality, and I had my opinions shook on this interview because I I would have bet if I was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, are the yellow pages still around, true or false? I would have said false, and I would have not won that million dollars. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a really interesting insight from this conversation. That was one of many insights from this conversation, mm-hmm. but that was just like leveling the field. Like, hey, this is this is what the state of the world is today. Um, and even as we get into the, you know, to Thrive's business with Gordon, the business around the pages, their traditional business is still 85% versus SaaS. Yeah, that's a very large number, very large number, much more than I was Huge. expecting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. It was cool. I mean, anytime we get a C-level exec from a publicly traded company, especially one that you've heard of or, you know, relatively heard of is really interesting. And it was cool because, you know, we talk a lot to, you know, B2B technology leaders. And so data, I think is kind of obvious. It's like it's, everyone's got data in the toolkit mm-hmm. some way or another to hear how he transformed the business using data to increase ACV, to lower churn and to support verticalization. I just thought it was astounding. It was really fascinating mm-hmm. to hear that story. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is transformation is not easy. Like they had to change their entire business. They had to look at how they're going to market, who is in leadership, who is selling this product, how are we training them? Um, There's so many aspects to shifting your business to like a new way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we get into a lot of those uh, details in this chat as well. Great story. Fantastic journey to listen to. Let's go hang out with Gordon. Gordon, welcome to Reveal. We're so happy to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you. So just to kick it off, could you give us a quick overview of what you do at Thrive and what you're focused on now in your current role? Sure. Uh, I'm the chief strategy officer. I was the chief marketing officer here for about six years. We joined in 2014. About a year ago, I shifted my role to chief strategy officer. Uh, I'm involved with uh, M&A, business development, a lot of investor and public relations uh, as well as uh, working closely with our sales force and our marketing teams. And maybe you could give us a little bit um, on the business. What, is, uh, what does Thrive do? What's your key product or service? Yeah, so Thrive is a company that sells software to small businesses. Uh, it's a cloud-based software solution that really allows the let, lets a small business uh, communicate with their customers through the whole client journey. Everything from the beginning of the journey where a customer books an appointment with you to communicating them about that appointment uh, sending them documents or exchanging documents all through the platform, all through the cloud-based platform. Um, 
managing the job, and then eventually sort of getting credit for it, seeking reviews, getting paid, uh, seeking future business. That's all done within the platform. We also have a traditional marketing services business that we've been running for many years, uh, which includes everything from print and online advertising to search advertising. And Gordon, I read that you worked in direct marketing industry at Columbia House early in your career, selling books, tapes, music. What was it about direct marketing and sales that compelled you to take your career in that direction? Yeah, so it was a long time ago, back in the 90s, but um, I was really excited about direct marketing because of the way it was so immediate uh, that you could test a product. Sometimes you would even test products you hadn't actually built yet. Uh, get a market feedback to that, tweak your offer or tweak your creative, and then test it again uh, and ultimately get to what was a successful offer in the marketplace and a successful product launch. Um, today, uh, in a sense, everybody's in direct marketing because most companies are selling through you know, search or some form of online advertising. The ability to uh, test and learn, test and learn has gotten so much greater because it's so much faster and iterative process. Um, so in a way everybody's kind of doing direct marketing now, but back then it was really almost like a science and, uh, companies like Columbia house where I work, were very, very good at it. And we happened to use it to sell, um, as you said, music, uh, books, uh, audio books, uh, and videos too. There was a video club. Well, you're, you're, you're not alone in that interest. Um, and I didn't mean to date you by saying tapes, but I also, um, <laughs> I love it as well. I, I'm on this, this paid Patreon group where this gentleman who, who makes a company called Very Good Copy, he shares once a week of the best of the best direct response uh, marketing campaigns for things like encyclopedias and all these kind of like magazines with a breakdown of, you know, why it works so well. And it's interesting to see one of them, was unbeaten for like 34 years. No one could write a better direct response. So I, I find it yeah. fascinating as well. Yeah, there was a, a, a whole industry of people who worked in that, as you said, who were copywriters who tested all these offers and creatives. Uh, and uh, there's still uh, many people who are interested in that space. Um, but so much of it has moved online now, uh, less and less through the mail. Um, but there's many, many different ways to do it. And uh, as you say, with the coffee, I mean, you can, you can use these techniques for selling just about any product out there. Exactly. Yeah, we we we, uh, we use a lot of it for ours, even though we're digital. We, we like the the approach. It works really well. Yeah, great. So Thrive as a, as a business had a pretty incredible transformation from like the Yellow Pages days to IPO as a SaaS business. Could you share a little bit more about that journey since you started there in 2014? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Thrive... Um, is a company that in a sense is very new and in a sense has been around for a long time. We have a, a legacy marketing services business that goes back actually almost a hundred years or over a hundred years uh, because it started really in the yellow pages business and yellow pages was a super successful space for, you know, many, many decades. Uh, it was, uh, it was actually about a $12 billion industry in the U S as late as the 1990s. Um, and then, it, and then as online came to be the thing, uh, moved to also online directories, so print directories, online directories, and then and then we began to sell search advertising as well. And when I joined the company, it was principally print advertising, print yellow pages advertising, online directory advertising, and search advertising. Um, when we joined, and I say we, current management team, uh, we uh, it was really kind of two insights. One was 
we felt this headlong rush into search advertising was sort of not a, a great business for us to be in. It was clear that uh, traditional directory advertising was in a slow, secular decline. Most print products, of course, have declined and shifted to online. Same was true for Yellow Pages. And we thought this move to be reselling search, really reselling Google, um, first of all, for us, wasn't a great business because it wasn't a high margin business. It was very commoditized. And secondly, we thought we could do a better job of serving small businesses by developing a cloud-based product that would allow to man- them to manage their entire customer experience. You think about all the big businesses you deal with, and they're all working with great cloud-based products. Uh, you know, you, you, you live on your mobile phone. Uh, they have all your data sitting in a CRM. Uh, they market to you very um, uh, minute by minute almost. Uh, you interact with them, and they send you a reminder notification. Think about how you interact with Amazon. You can track the package showing up at your door. Small businesses had, like, none of that. Uh, many of them were still operating with paper and pen, Excel spreadsheets. And so we set out on a journey to enable the small business to transform how they did business, which in turn would transform how we did business. Um, but it was really putting the vision of putting a software product out there that small businesses could use that would allow them to do really the same things that biz- big businesses used. And so we as a company have transformed from selling uh, advertising to also now very aggressively selling software to help small businesses. And that's changed everything really. It's changed the way we um, sell it's the change we talk to our customers has changed the way we measure our success. Um, and it's, it's been, it's been an exciting transformation, but certainly one that's been a journey for us as a company. That's super interesting. I will, uh, I remember the yellow, yellow pages days very fondly. I remember Same. actually being excited when I would get the yellow pages delivered and being able to like flip through as a kid. And I think they used to have like coupons and things like that in the back. And I just like, it was a fun time. And then it started shifting and I would started, I started using the books for arts and crafts. I also have those memories too. <laughs> so there's a great scene in this movie called the jerk with Steve Martin. I think it was 1985 where he runs out to the driveway and he says, the phone book is here. The phone book yeah. is here. And then he opens it up and he finds his name in the, in the book. And he says, I'm famous. Yeah. <laughs> I love that scene. Uh, fond memories as well. Open the door and seeing that, uh, seeing that on the doorstep. Never well, does. we still make them. Uh, it, it, it's a, it's a bit of a misconception. People think, you know, doesn't exist anymore, particularly if you live in New York City in Manhattan and you live in a high rise, you don't see them anymore. And it is true that that's the one market in the country, actually, that we actually don't print and deliver a directory anymore right in the center of Manhattan um, because it's 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 a, it's the kind of market where a print directory doesn't work as well, mostly because the people who live in Manhattan, when they have a problem with their apartment, they just call the super. They don't really need a directory right. so much because the super generally fixes everything. Phone book really works well for people who live uh, more out in the suburbs and rural areas where you have to fix a lot of the things that break in and around your house. Uh, and so we deliver to uh, pretty much every market in the country still, um, but it's more targeted than it used to be. We, we, we target the book more demographically it tends to be more heavily used by people i'd say over the age of about 50 55 uh, certainly heavily used still for people who are like 60 65 and older um and it's used for all those things i mentioned the home services the professional services you know uh, other other service people 
need. And um, uh, there's still uh, over 3 billion references to printed yellow pages in the United States and another equal amount just about to online directories, online yellow pages. And so something like 7 billion references, those are like usage occasions um, that basically we deliver to small businesses. And so the return on investment that businesses get out of this advertising form is still much better than you think. You know, people make the, um, I think, just assumption that when a media is no longer sort of hot, that it just dies. But, you know, there's still, I have a friend who still has an AOL uh, online address. I mean, there's still people who have AOL addresses and pay AOL. AOL. And, you know, a, a doctor recently asked me, I had a, needed a prescription. He said, can I fax you this prescription? I was like, fax? We'll do that? I know I, I have a bunch of doctors in my family. They still wear beepers. I mean, these things don't just go away, you know. <laughs> Uh, funny you say that I was, we were working with someone, we have a this, uh, freelancer joining our team and, uh, I said, can you, can you text him? Can you send me your email? It was an AOL. And I was like, wow, that makes me very happy, very nostalgic. <laughs> yeah. So Gordon, it seems like there's two core aspects to thrive, right? You've got the software that helps clients with their daily demands of running their business. And then the search display, social, local print and directory products. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We have we really have two segments. We're a public company now. We're listed on the NASDAQ, T-H-R-Y, and we report out two separate segments. One is marketing services. The other is the SaaS solution, cloud-based solution, as you said. Just to give you a sense of the size, the uh, marketing services, which, again, this one's been around for, for a really, really long time, is still about 85% of our revenue, but is in a long, slow second climb, the SaaS or cloud-based solution is about 15%, but is the faster grow, fast growing. Got it. So there must be some pretty interesting challenges of setting up sales works for these very different product lines, like different skill sets, different sales motions, um, maybe a different type of buyer for each. Tell us a little, little, a little bit about the challenges that you've seen really creating these two product lines and selling these two diff- very different products, and how have you overcome those challenges? Yeah, that's an excellent question. We've really had to transform the whole company, I would say. And um, speaking about the sales process or sales organization, we have a traditional sales force that went to that had a selling motion that was based on two different um, uh, inside sales and outside sales. The outside sales was your premise or field-based sales rep who would go out in the field and essentially knock on businesses doors within the uh, territory. And then there was a telephone based group that in a couple different telephone centers that did the same thing, but over the phone. Um, So we've had to transform how they work. um, And also we've developed an entirely new selling process, selling motion um, based around this thrive. So for the new, for the new team, the new chat, we call the new channels, we have an inbound team where we do digital advertising. We generate hand raisers, businesses that are interested in the product, who basically fill out a form. Uh, we connect with them and end up doing a Zoom meeting uh, where we do an online demo for them. Uh, and then we try to sell them through this uh, online online uh, demo, online sales call. A second part of this team uh, is what we call a partner team. And we've signed up agencies all over the country. These are generally small to sort of mid-sized marketing agencies who we partner with, and they represent us. They essentially resell the product 
to their customer base. And we have hundreds of these now who are signed up and it's growing every day. And we have a third channel uh, that's also new uh, that sells to franchises. And franchises is a category we see great opportunity for with Thrive. Um, these tend to be more franchises that sell services, the kind of people who like come and do things, you know, uh, clean up or, or, or do epoxy your garage maybe, who do, you know, franchise, you know, who does maybe plumbing or other home services. This is not, you know, Burger King. Um, but they tend to be medium-sized, like 50 to 100 unit service-based franchises, and we're getting a lot of traction with them. Um, we recently actually were were sort of cited by uh, one of the leading franchise consulting groups in the country, Franworth. They said Thrive is the holy grail for franchises because it does just what a franchise needs, help them manage their uh, customer experience. And we even have now a franchise sort of console that sits on top that the franchisor can look at, like the CMO of the franchisor who can look at, we call that hub for Thrive. So those are three different new channels, the inbound, the franchise, and the partner that are all completely new just for selling the SaaS product. And I would also say that we've trained or retrained the traditional sales force in a really dramatic way. So if you were out selling marketing services, you know, five, 10 years ago, um, you know, you had a traditional sales call you spent about 30 to 60 minutes with your customer. You pretty much went through a discussion about how many leads they want to generate at any, every month, like how many times they wanted their phone to ring. Uh, and you would build an advertising budget based on that. Um, we still do that for that leads based, uh, discussion, but now there's a whole new discussion around the software and that mm. traditional sales rep, uh, either the premise rep or the phone, um, really has to be able to speak about the software intelligently. And so we've done a tremendous amount of training. It's a very different product than the products they sold before, because it's not about generating lead. It's about allowing somebody to manage their customer base more effectively. Um, so it's been a lot of training and retraining and also important piece is that, that we, we have really broken the sales process down, uh, into sort of bites where the salesperson's job is no longer to do everything. They used to do everything. Now the goal is really to have them elicit interest on the part of sales per, uh, part of the customer and have, and throw that over to who does the online demo, the zoom call, if you will, um, and then maybe that sale gets sold uh, by the person on the Zoom call. So you don't you, you, you kind of chop up the sales process a little more into pieces than you used to it before. Gordon, how did you decide? Or I guess like what was the defining moment to start to cut it up into those segments? And then how did you decide what those kind of portions would be? Well, I think it's the realization that software is fundamentally different business. And I'm sure if you were talking to people at salesforce.com or any other large software company, it's too complex a process to expect one person to do it all and manage it and be an expert in everything, especially because generally you're innovating on the software at a much faster rate than you would have innovated on traditional products. And so if you really need like almost a sales engineer who's doing part of the job for you. Uh, and there may, you know, you, you could potentially even have a sales person on a sales call, sales engineer with them if, 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 you know, in person or on the phone, and then another person doing the online demo. But you definitely need at least two people, one who's building that relationship, who certainly understands the product, but isn't, you know, up to speed on the sure. latest, latest innovations. And then someone maybe back on the Zoom call 
who is a demo specialist who's really good at navigating the software and can explain all the latest innovations because we do innovate at a pretty rapid rate. It's pretty fascinating how you've been able to really bifurcate and, and you create these different channels in a pretty short amount of time. Um, yeah. And they all have their different approaches, different people, different processes. It's really, really interesting. I want to double click on the, the legacy sellers or the traditional sellers um, because it seems to me like, like their sales process changed quite a bit. They have to sell SaaS, which is something that they were used to before. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that particularly worked in terms of educating and training those folks on this new product and this new motion? Um, I asked because I, I think there's a lot of businesses that are like SaaS is like a new product line for them where they're transforming their businesses and, and there could be something they could learn from your experiences there. Yeah. So first of all, I just want to make it clear that all our salespeople in the traditional side of the business sell both products. They sell the traditional product and they sell the new product. When I say the traditional product, it's all those marketing services, products, print directories, online directories, search advertising, display advertising, websites. They, they sell that whole marketing services mix. And then they also are empowered to sell the SaaS solution. So they sell the whole thing. We didn't divide up the sales force. We did create these new channels that I described and they only sell the SaaS solution. So just wanted to level set on there. In terms of bringing these traditional salespeople kind of up to speed on how to do that, um, again, tremendous amount of training and retraining uh, over the years. Every time we've had a new product release, we're now on release, I think, 5.3. So there's been, you know, every every 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, you know, we tend to have a kind of a big training. We don't retrain them every time there's a you know, small release. But... Um, uh, we we realized uh, that they needed to be trained to be able to sell the product and talk about it in a smart way and the major benefits that our customers would get. Um, but again, we didn't feel that, uh, that over time we realized that there was a bigger opportunity to split up those different capabilities where they would have someone behind them. So it was that, it was really that insight that I guess that the product deserved that, merited it, and required it, and the customer really required that, that they needed to be able to get hands-on and do that Zoom call, do that online demo, and that was something that was just going to be too much to have one person do. And so we've certainly trained our traditional salespeople uh, enough to be dangerous, more than than dangerous, Uh, and many of them do want to really, you know, own that sales call, but we have, I think, convinced ourselves, convinced them that their job, they, they do a better job partnering with somebody kind of back at the home office who could do that online demo. Yeah. Yeah. You're more dangerous with air support. Yeah. There you go. Um, well, yeah. And you, Gordon, you have, you support over what a thousand salespeople. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen over the years as far as habits and actions that make someone successful in the B2B realm? Yeah. So, and, and I certainly don't want to take credit for it. We have a terrific chief sales officer, Jim McCusker. He has regional vice presidents who are terrific. I mean, there's a tremendous, I, you know, I'm lucky to work alongside these people uh, in my chief strategy role. Um, And we have, I must say, you know, terrific chief executive officer who himself comes from a sales background, Joe Walsh, uh, who has really led and mentored the organization. You know, sales sort of, if you go back to the old days, maybe 1990s, early 2000s, it was still largely relationship-based. And, you know, the salesperson who was, a, you know, we say good talker, you know, who was funny, <laughs> tell a joke, charming, 
um, tended to do better. And the products then were sim uh, simpler. Um, as the products have gotten more complex uh, and required more uh, technology uh, understanding, uh, I think the salespeople themselves had to be able to master that new language. And the sale itself was less around your personality and more around uh, sort of the data and the demonstration. Uh, you be, had to be able to sh prove that the products worked. So even the leads products, um, more and more was about show me what worked. In the old days with print, uh, people tended to buy on trust. Mm -hmm. Yellow Pages was, you know, we were talking before the, we came online here. Um, you know, it was a terrific brand. It was, it was like advertising in the newspaper or something. It was, it was, it was tried. It was trusted. It had been around for a hundred years. People assumed it worked. You sort of ran a local business. You had to have a yellow page right. ad if you were right. in certain categories. Couldn't be a plumber without a yellow page ad. Um, and so a lot of it was built on trust and there wasn't as much reliance on show me the number, show me the ROI, show me the cost per lead. That, that wasn't a thing. It had become a thing over the last sort of 10, 15, 20 years. And now you couldn't imagine going into an advertiser's office, uh, even a local advertiser and not talking about the cost per lead, not talking about the ROI, not talking about the conversion rates. I mean, that's just, that data has become part of the lingo. Um, in terms of the software, that's just added to it now because, you know, people want to understand um, what it's going to do for them in terms of improving their business. And we also look at the business now from a much more metrics-driven per, uh, perspective. So I think the whole business has become sort of more technological and definitely more data-oriented. You know the sound. You know what time it is. The data breakout. While many of the fundamentals remain the same, selling has changed a lot since the days of the relationship sale. Making a personal connection or being a smooth talker is no longer enough to drive complex deals. According to the classic Sales Executive Council Global Study of Sales Rep Productivity, the performance of relationship builders, those who focus on being generous with their time and strive to meet customers every need, only account for 7% of all top performers. And in complex environments like enterprise sales, that number drops to 4%. So does that mean that relationships no longer matter in B2B sales? Not exactly. The study's data suggests it's the nature of the relationships that matter. 54% of all-star reps in a complex solution selling environment are challengers. They don't avoid tension by giving in to the customer's every demand. They're comfortable providing new insights, pushing customers to think differently, and creating constructive tension. In other words, they add more value, and it's that value that drives the relationship. Stay tuned to the micro action at the end of the episode for tips to help your reps build value-driven relationships. I guess there's also like some amount of choice, like buyers have a lot more choice in terms of where to put their advertising dollars now. So mm. that relationship has a much you know, the, the value is much lower than it was at, at one point in time. It's like, Hey, I have all these choices. What's actually going to work. What's going to have the impact. So folks are becoming more and more fluent in data and measuring the impact. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, it's a great point. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, there's this guy named Scott Brinker, I think it is who does this thing called the marketing landscape and you look at it over time. And, and if you go back, like, I mean, to like, like maybe the sixties, there was essentially like six or seven ad choices, either like bought TV, bought radio, bought newspaper, bought a yellow page ad, direct mail, I guess there was like six. Now it's like 
6,000 or, you know, it yeah, just keeps yeah. growing and growing and growing because there's so many different things to buy. And, you know, even in the advertising space, that's true. There's so many choices in the advertising world. And then in the SaaS world that, that we now occupy selling software, um, there's a tremendous amount of choice. Again, why you need your word was, you know, backup or, or air support um, because you can't possibly know all this stuff. You need to have people behind you who can, you know, explain it. In the SaaS world, what's happened is small businesses um, are making this migration just as big businesses did from first, you know, paper and pen to Excel spreadsheets and now moving into cloud-based tools. There's still only like a third, maybe 40% of small businesses that are using cloud-based tools. Um, it was expected to get to two-thirds by like 2022. We think that's going to get speeded up because of COVID, because everybody having to do business virtually, so they're moving more quickly into cloud-based tools, just as we all have. We're doing this conversation via Zoom now. I mean, that's just commonplace. Um, but in terms of the selection of the tools that small businesses uh, are making, many of them have adopted some point solution, we call it, uh, so, for example, they'll, you know, QuickBooks for uh, accounting software, tax software, um, uh, maybe MailChimp for email. Um, but as they realize over time, they need to add and add and add. They need the database. They need the web presence tools. They need the email. They need the text. They need the payments. They need the invoice, the estimates, all these different things that help them manage their client's journey. Uh, they start realizing, wow, I got to have a lot of little tools. These tools all need to talk to each other. And suddenly I'm trying to manage this kind of Frankenstein of five, six, seven tools. What Thrive has really done is given them a single solution where it's all integrated, all talks to each other, one dashboard, one screen, and allows them to manage everything. And that is what simplified their lives and gotten them away from having all these disparate tools. And so to your point, it, it, uh, uh, it is complex. There is a lot to know, and a lot of what we've tried to do is just simplify it, both from a selling standpoint, but particularly for the customer. So, Gordon, would love to know, how has data helped you guide this evolution to SaaS? Because, you know, when you look back, do you have any insights about the business that seemed, you know, counterintuitive at the time, right? Like, I thought one thing, maybe for sure, maybe I wasn't unsure, I was kind of in the hypothesis stage. And then you looked at the data and realized, wow, this is, you know, completely different or really glad at least I looked at this because now I have a better North Star. Yeah. Well, I'll be the first to admit we've learned a lot uh, through this uh, six, seven-year journey we've had uh, since 2014 um, in the development of Thrive. Uh, and really, the data tells you everything. It's a very data and metrics-driven business. Um, we live by things like you know, CACTEL TV, what's your cost of acquisition? What's the lifetime value of your customer? Uh, NDR, net dollar retention. Um, can you uh, retain more dollars from a given cohort than you had the year before? Uh, and so forth. There's a whole bunch of these that are really important. You can't get drowned into too many, but there are a few really key ones that we live by. And in terms of the data and, uh, you know, the key metrics and, and what it's how it's guided us, uh, as you asked, Devin, um, I think probably the biggest thing we found is how important engagement with software is. If you're in the software business, at least software business we're in, uh, engagement in the software is everything. The customer has to be using it. If you get um, they're going to question it. Uh, and so we've developed a much more rigorous process of uh, onboarding the customer and continuing to kind of keep an eye on them to make sure they're engaging with the software on a very regular basis. 
um, one of the things that the data showed us that was, I guess it's a counterintuitive. Um, when we started out at a certain point, we wanted to scale and we thought the right move was to move down market was basically to price our product lower, sell it through buy online where someone could just click, sort of check it out, learn a little bit and self provision. And then off they go. Um, and we did that. We, we launched a buy online channel. We did all those things. And at first it looked great. Um, the numbers sort of skyrocketed people, uh, self-provision, they, uh, adopted free trials. So they signed up, uh, and we're like, wow, this is easy. And then we started to look at the churn numbers and the churn numbers told us a different story was that a lot of these, um, quick adopters, uh, turned out not to be serious and we didn't have as rigorous an onboarding process. And so they churned. Uh, and so we really had to move back up market. Um, and we removed that fruit sort of just buy online yourself thing. And we required them to go through some type of selling process, either that in-person process we talked about or an online demo or both, um, where they could get a more, uh, fulsome, uh, demonstration of the product. So they really knew this is something they wanted and needed. And then we put them through a more rigorous onboarding process to make sure that they really knew how to use the software and understood the benefits um, by the time they were on board and using it. And that moved to a more uh, a higher price point, uh, a, 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 a moving through a selling person, a salesperson, uh, and then the and then the demo and onboarding um, really quieted down that churn, gave us a much more stable base and a much more uh, uh, dedicated user. Mm. And so it's really worked to our advantage, but that was counterintuitive because we didn't understand uh, really the importance of the engagement piece. That's fascinating. I really like that. Um, is there anything maybe based on that example, something you're working on now that you can share where you're like, Hey, I'm really, you know, some, something's in flight and maybe I'm looking at the data constantly to make sure we're on the right path or maybe just, you know, another example of something you're working on now where, where data has made a big impact. Uh, yeah, well, we are a public company, so I can't do anything too forward looking, uh, or, or, or that we I don't want to get you in trouble about publicly. Yeah, that, that wouldn't be good. Um, but I will say that, um, um, verticalization is an area I would say that we've, we've moved into. We've, we've just launched our first couple of, uh, SaaS verticals where now we have a specific, uh, home services product, uh, or capability that we're really releasing, um, and other ones coming. And um, the data has really showed us, and, and the market evolution as well, um, that this more verticalized approach uh, is one that will work, that doesn't have effect. Um, and so um, Thrive is uniquely horizontal in the sense that it works for many, many verticals, but businesses really um, need something that um, uh, sort of speaks their language, where they can see the terminology. For example, they're doing an estimate, and it's the types of jobs that they do, or the types. You know, if you're a lawyer, you call it cases. Uh, if you're a doctor, you call it patients. If you're uh, a home tradesman, you call it jobs. And we start to use their language, and it really helps them just more quickly get to use the product in the way they need. And a lot of that came by just studying the data and studying um, how people were using the product, and also responding to the kinds of requests and inbound that we got from our customer base. When it kind of goes back to the direct response marketing, you know, if you speak their language, people are going to, uh, people are going to respond. People are going to resonate with Well, that. you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's probably obvious, I guess, but, but one that you can't say too often, you have to be close to your customer. You have to, and one of the things our sales 
tradition has helped us with is we are really close to our customer. We have salespeople every day, either in person or now via Zoom, uh, speaking to customers face-to-face just like we're doing right now. And we really feel them. We really hear their their needs. Uh, and that has helped us tremendously in quickly kind of innovating and responding to them uh, with this software product so it, it does the things they want us to do. But you have to be out there talking to your customer one way or another. You have to be talking to them. You have to be listening to them. Um, because they tell you what you know what you got to do. Couldn't agree more. On that point, um, when we spoke earlier, uh, you said that remote has actually been great for your sales force, and that you expect this to continue. How do you uh, anticipate, and how are you currently maintaining that closeness with customers being remote? Because it must be so critical, especially in localized businesses and working with small businesses. Yeah, um, we. We uh, have prided ourselves on um, maintaining that personal relationship with our customers over many years, and a lot of those customers we see in person. Uh, There's not too many companies out there who still have a face-to-face sales force the way we do. But COVID obviously changed a lot of things for a lot of people, and it did for us as well, and it forced us to work remote as a company. We sent everybody home. We didn't uh, ever since uh, right around this time, uh, March, mid-March of last year, we sent everybody home, work remote. Uh, and the way our sales first people started to deal with our customers was, was generally via Zoom. And we didn't know what to expect. And we quickly found that in many ways it enhanced productivity. Uh, first of all, salespeople didn't have to drive around. So they weren't just sitting in traffic or spending money on gas. Uh, and, 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 and there just wasn't much as much time when they did see the customer of sort of the schmoozing and, 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 uh, chit chat, um, you know, over zoom tended to get more quickly down to business. And so it saved the salesperson time, saved the customer time and created a more efficient selling motion, which continues to this day. We also, as a company, uh, found an increased efficiency for us because we didn't have as many management people flying around to meetings all the time. Uh, and so you weren't sitting, you know, in an airport or on a plane, those types of things. It was, it was a much more efficient right. process from a management standpoint. And so we have found COVID uh, for us to be an efficiency gainer or a productivity lifter um, that caused us to middle of last year say that we were going to be a fully remote company, that we weren't going to sort of go back to expecting people to be in the office that we're, we're expecting to remain a fully remote company. We reserve the right to always change or modify or adjust if we find, you know, conditions change or maybe the productivity changes. So, you know, never say never, but that has been our experience that has been uh, a positive. Um, and so uh, we've, we've actually found COVID in that way um, to be, to be a tailwind. The, the other thing um, is COVID has caused small businesses to adopt the software more quickly. They, they, they've realized that they need the software when, when COVID hit, you know, if you remember back to the uh, early part of 2020, uh, the economy of the U.S. in January, February, March was really going great guns. The economy was very, very strong. Uh, it, was, it was almost like full employment. Um, things were very buoyant. And uh, businesses often, when they would hear us ask them or talk to them about our software solution, they'd say, that sounds really great, but, you know, things are so good for me now. I'm really, really busy. I just don't have time. Come back later. Well, suddenly COVID hit. Everybody had time. Nothing was going great for anybody back, you think, March, April, May last year. And suddenly they were very receptive. And the idea that you had a software 
that was going to specifically help me do business virtually with my small business customers was like really what they needed at the right time. And so it opened a lot of conversations and it became 2020 was a good year for us. Um, I mean, it wasn't a great year for the country, but it was great for us business wise that we, you know, are fortunate to have. Gordon, I've enjoyed this conversation. I was excited to meet with you because uh, we got connected via Brian on our team. Uh, you know, admittedly, the yellow pages. I was like, I got to, I got to get the story here. Um, and I've really enjoyed talking <laughs> to you because thank you. I was in the assumption because you know, out of sight, out of mind. I hadn't, you know, I haven't lived in the burbs for a while. I've been in San Francisco, and I hadn't right. seen a book in a while. So I'm like, man, this thing's dead somewhere, and, I'm, and that kind of makes me sad. But I understand. So I'm glad that you've, you know brought reality into my life and let me know that one of my favorite things is still out there. But more so also hearing how data has helped drive ACV, lower churn, and helped you move to, you know, an inside sales org is, is really is fascinating. I have one more question for you that I didn't put on the preparation doc. So I hope you're okay. game for this. It's, Ooh, a question, a it, it's really not that hard, but it's a question we <laughs> ask all of our guests, which is, Gordon, how would you describe sales in one word? I think I'd say confidence. I think you have to have confidence, uh, first of all, that you have uh, a product or a solution that is going to help your customer. You have to have that confidence. Once you have that confidence, the rest just sort of flows from there because you're, you, you feel like you're helping somebody right. uh, to, to make their business better in our case. You have to have that confidence. Obviously, you want to have that confidence in yourself and your skills, but you have to have your confidence in your product and also the, the team behind you. As we've talked extensively here, it's not, you know, it's, it's not, it's not all about one person anymore. It's, you know, you have to have a team behind you supports you. Uh, and, and, uh, if you have that confidence that you, you've got a great product that's going to help your customer win and you've got a team behind you that's going to deliver it, that's going to, uh, make sure they you can execute. Um, then I think it's, you can be successful. So I would say that would be my answer. Confidence. I love it. I love it. And uh, you reflect that for sure in every way that you just mentioned. And I come to every reveal interview confident because I've got Sheena and my partner in crime by my side. (laughs) Sheena's great. You, I'm not so sure, Devin. Sheena's great. (laughs) She carries the show. We help each other. (laughs) Well, Gordon, thanks again for stopping by and hanging out with us. Really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, best of luck to you and the Thrive team. And I hope we get to cross paths uh, again soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Gordon. Let's get into this week's micro action. According to Matthew Dixon and Brent Adamson, authors of The Challenger Sale, Taking Control of the Customer Conversation, a common concern among sales managers is if we tell our reps to be more assertive, they'll go too far and become aggressive. The authors argue that, in fact, most reps are conditioned to avoid tension and are far more likely to be too passive than too aggressive with customers. Here are three tips to help your reps take more control of each deal without taking things too far. First, lean into creative tension, even if it feels uncomfortable. Focus on bringing ideas that create value by inspiring customers to think differently. Second, Don't wait for customers to tell you what to do. Be the one who guides them through the purchasing process. Finally, take control in negotiating, especially when it comes to pricing and discounts. Focus on the value you're providing rather than simply dropping your price at the first request. 
Can I make a super quick ask? I bet our VP of sales that we can get to 100 podcast reviews before Q1 ends. That's March 31st for us. It's a gentleman's wager for bragging rights because I love telling him I told you so. And we're already at 73 reviews. So I'm hoping you can help push us over the edge. All you have to do is take 27 seconds to give Reveal a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's that simple. I appreciate it. And thanks for the help. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.